You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, and can you believe it? This is episode 40 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Um, I'm glad that you are joining us for this week's episode, and as always, I'm also glad that Matt and Nathan Van Horn are also joining us. Um, Before we get started, I haven't reminded you guys uh, in some time, so I'm going to put this at the very beginning. Uh, you need to like and subscribe the podcast if you're not already doing so, because if you're not subscribed to the podcast, that means two things are true. Number one, it means you're not getting notifications when we drop a new episode every Tuesday morning. And two, it means that you're telling the algorithm that the podcast is not worth recommending to others. (laughs) So please, if you believe that the podcast is worth recommending to others, and maybe even if you don't, go ahead and give us that follow and subscribe (laughs) on whatever platform you're listening. Just show us some sympathy, even if we don't deserve it. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Oh, that's Um, good. That's that's kind of what we're talking about today, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, look at there. Back on form, Nathan. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Yes. We are talking a little bit about sympathy in a kind of roundabout sort of way. Uh, As we round out the story of the flood here, uh, we're still on the ark, but we're not off the boat. And uh, we're going to look at that today. Which um, that's interesting, and we'll get to it once we read the text, but the, there's a, after we read the text, there's an element that I've never seen before that shows up here. Um, what is the text that we're reading today? So uh, we're looking at Genesis chapter 8, verses 13 through 19. All right, so I'll go ahead and I will read today. And as always, we yeah. Are I, I feel like I've, I always get the long passages, so I'm just gonna. I'll, I'll read again when we get to Exodus. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll just read. I'll read it from now until we get to Leviticus, and I'll just let you yeah. handle all that, Nathan. Mm. But uh, so this is Genesis chapter eight, verses thirteen through nineteen. As always, reading from the English Standard Version. Mm. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month. The waters were dried from off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds, animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And the element that I have frequently overlooked, I've never really taken note of until reading it in preparation for this episode, is that just because the waters were dried up off the earth, that earth wasn't flooded anymore, that did not mean they had, they got off the ark immediately. They still lived on the ark. 
yeah, they, for time after that. They were there for some time. In fact, according to Ken Matthews and his Genesis commentary, it was from the day it started to rain until the time that Noah gets off the ark. I think it's 111 days. Goodness gracious. Now, there yes. are some others that say it might be a little longer, a little shorter. I guess that's Noah's counting versus his wife's counting or something like that, or <laughs> vice versa. <laughs> But I also get this visual of like Ham, Shem, and Japheth carving little notches into the the wooden sides of the boat or something like that. <laughs> but uh, here we are now. Yeah. Another element that I had never noticed is talking about like the covering over the ark. Like oh, it's, that's very It's good. like a convertible yes. <laughs> or something. It's got <laughs> a lid. All right. No, no, the waters are starting to go away. Can you at least let the top down? It's not raining anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually really interesting that you point that out because we've talked in previous episodes about words and how they are introduced. And one of the things that Dr. Van Horn pointed out to us a couple weeks ago is how these things connect to the Exodus story, that we were, are reminded that, hey, even though we're reading this story, uh, the Israelites were not living this. They were also reading this. They were living the Exodus while reading Genesis. And so we are... Oh, right. That, Stop. Repeat, restate that. That's such a good way to say it. They were, so they were they living were, the Exodus while they were reading Genesis. That's correct. such a good way to say that. So with that, there are things that they were experiencing, and that's captured in the vocabulary of the Exodus, that those words are used in Genesis, or at least that's what I took away from what you taught us a couple weeks ago. Um, in, other, in other words, um, uh, th and this is, I mean, this is going to be ignorance upon ignorance, but pretend the only dog you've ever seen is a Dalmatian, right? Okay. And you know what a Dalmatian looks like. Then pretend you meet someone uh, and they say, oh, you have a dog. I have a dog, too. But the only dog they've ever seen is a golden retriever. Hmm. Whether or not you're talking about the same thing exactly, you, uh, by virtue of that common vocabulary, you import or export a certain set of expectations and meanings, right? Uh, and the interesting thing is even though one would be talking about a Dalmatian and the other would be talking about a golden retriever. And in the in one sense, those are two very different looking animals. In another sense, they have a whole lot more in common than they do different. Right. Right. And so we have, we have words being used over a large period of time and in very broad context, but even so, you know, living the Exodus while you're reading uh, Genesis or, or hearing Genesis more likely um, the overlap of what's in common is greater than what is different. And so it's always worth, to Matt's point, it's always worth when you when you hit some of this vocabulary that they would have heard one way, it's neat to see some of the conceptual ties. Hmm. And that word that he just point, pointed out, uh, covering, is actually the first time that this occurs in the Bible. Uh, just because my Hebrew pronunciation is atrocious, Nathan, why don't you pronounce the Hebrew word for it? Just, uh, uh it, miska, miska, yeah, miska. See, uh, I no, told no, you. No, 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 it's uh, we, we uh, transpose mixa, mixa, that, that's right, mixa. mixa, yeah, yeah, so maim, calf, uh, yeah, okay. So, everywhere else in the Old Testament, this is used as it's used in its noun form, it's used, we found exclusively 
for the covering, the tent covering, animal hide covering. That's interesting to me, given we just read Genesis 3. But the animal hide covering of the tent of meeting, where Moses would go and meet with God, and he and Aaron as well. That That is very interesting to me that that was the place where the Shekinah glory of God would drop down and people would, would stand when peop, they would see Moses go into the tent of meeting and the, the Shekinah glory of God, the pillar of cloud would, would rest upon it and people would stand at their tent and then they would worship because it signified God's presence with them. And that is just fascinating to me that here in the middle of the story on the ark, it's talking about a tent top, and I've just never caught that before. Oh, and I'm just trying. Did they have like some kind of roll-up device? Did they peel it back? Did they fold it over? I'm just trying to work out the mechanics in my head. <laughs> um, I know they did. I know they didn't have this back then, but I'm like just imagining like a like a blue tarp that you get at Walmart, <laughs> just over top. <laughs> over top I, of I'm thinking of those old accordion-like room dividers that you had in fellowship halls and churches. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, okay, so so what's the significance here then? Because so are the Israelites living the Exodus, are they reading this and seeing the um, the Ark as like a, a proto-tabernacle? Well, can, can, can I suggest, I would say kind of, but maybe in a different, maybe with a different point than you may be leading toward. Um, okay, so I'll tell you what, trace your point. Let, let, me, let me engage it the way you're thinking it. Well, I'm just seeing. I'm just seeing that. Okay, we're seeing that there's a connection between the covering of the tabernacle, which is you know how they they move around and God is in there with them, and we have that same word being used to cover the ark with Noah and his family. And I'm just wondering, like, so there's a connection there, but what is it? Are they are they supposed to read this and go, oh, that's just like what we're doing right now, or like I don't, I'm asking you to understand to explain it, Nathan? Yeah. So I guess the the thing for me is it's it's let. I guess biblically, especially the Bible in the ancient world, the point is less that the tabernacle can move, and it's more that the God of the tabernacle can move. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So I, th- I think of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel is, is uh, you know, Ezekiel's supposed to be ministering um, in Jerusalem, and he's not uh, because he was. Uh, you know, in exile, he was deported uh, from his homeland. Um, and then in, in Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel gets this incredible vision of uh, God's throne. And it's described in all this majesty and splendor. And then it's got this one very unexpected detail. It's got wheels on the bottom of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, it and, moves. And, yeah, God has a moving throne. And so I, I think the neat thing is in the ancient worlds, gods were more or less stationary. They were geographically bound. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we've talked a lot about, uh, I do like the connection to the tabernacle, especially with this word for covering and a, f- and a few other things that we've discussed that, again, or ties. Or tent of meeting. Tent of meeting. I don't know that there's a connection to the tabernacle. Well, no, I mean, just that whole... But the, I guess the general uh, yeah, idea. Yeah, for for me, it's this whole cluster of images. Uh, again, yeah. the first thing Moses, uh, the first thing Noah will do when he gets off the ark is offer sacrifice. Yeah, um, that's good. And so it, it's it's in other words, we can't we can't talk about Moses without thinking Exodus, without thinking Sinai, without thinking Tabernacle, without thinking Tent of Meeting. Um, mm, and and you have that same cluster uh, coming up again and again because again Eden. Um, one of the big things that we overlook in the Eden story, uh, it would not, it is not unique in the ancient world 
to hear of a paradisial, uh, a paradise-like setting that mankind is forbidden entry, right? Right. It, it, yeah. it is unique that the God of Eden follows mankind out of the garden. Yeah, because we've talked about the Epic of Gilgamesh, and one of Gilgamesh's trials was getting to that sacred garden. That's it. And, you know, um, cutting trees down there. And, uh, and so I, 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 think, I think you get a window into God, the God who's willing to leave the garden and, and ultimately provides a way for us to go back in. Um, mm. uh, and Matt, we were talking about, you know, we think of coverings. The first, even though the vocabulary is not identical, where's the first place we think of coverings in the Bible? Yeah, Genesis 3 that we mentioned a few minutes ago. Yeah, Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sin, uh, they look upon their nakedness, and no longer are they naked and unashamed. And so the, their, their immediate instinct is to cover themselves. When God shows up, yes, there's consequences for their sin, but God provides them with a better covering, and he uses, dun, 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 animal skins. Animal skins. Um, yeah. now, oh. now here we are on the ark. Um, and, uh, and we read this, uh, you know, about removing the covering. This seems to be a different entrance slash exit point than they initially got onto the boat from, right? The door um, or the window that it said, does it say, wait a second. Did it say he opened a window? Yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah, it, it yeah, sounds yeah. like That's that he made, he made it while they were floating. Cause it just talks, it says he opened a window that he had made. Um, mm, yeah. So I'm imagining like the Bugs Bunny thing where you just see the saw, like the hacksaw <laughs> coming up from the ground. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, but anyway, he, now here we are dealing with coverings again. And I think the coverings are interesting again because, you know, here is uh, the last vestige remnant of humanity that didn't die in the flood. Right. Mm, uh, w- yeah. within, within, within and they're pres- covered by animal skins. And they're covered by animal skins. And it's not by the, the way. Last- it's it not the last tr- time. It's not the last time we'll see this language with regard to Noah. So a few years ago, uh, a, a dear friend of uh, mine and uh, Gandalf's here in town uh, made it possible for us to go to the Holy Land. His name is David Langerfeld. He's a retired pastor here, and so Gandalf and I got to go to the Holy Land with Pastor David. And one of the things, and Nathan, I know you've been, one of the things that the Holy Land did for me was it like totally destroyed all the things in my mind that I thought everything looked like. Like I was imagine like going to Galilee and then looking everywhere and not seeing a tree in sight. It's just grassy hills everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, no trees. The, the, the biggest one for me was going up to Jericho and looking down instead of looking up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Or the the road to Jericho, the little path. And now it was really cool seeing the one sycamore tree in Jericho, by the way. That was really interesting. Um, but but anyway, all of that stuff is that I was se- severely it, it it challenged me big time uh, of like I had in my mind what the Via Dolorosa looked like, that it was like walking through, you know, a small village. And but it's actually walking through the center of town with buildings everywhere. And yeah. Stuff. It's it's just so now you all have completely destroyed my visual of the ark. So I uh, like I'm sorry. It's a convertible. What, dude, it's <laughs> it's a soft top. I was totally going T-tops, hard top, um, like, man, a soft topped ark. It's just blowing my world up. The uh, <laughs> I, I'm disappointed in that because you're a boat guy. I feel like you should have oh, known. That's true. I feel like you should have oh, known dude, better. The ark had a bimini top. It had a bimini top. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, uh, by the way, I feel like you should make that segment more serious, Gandalf, and, and dub that you know Easter season Via Dolorosa 
underneath yeah. Matt talking about the uh, topography of the Holy Land. <laughs> um, the uh, no, but mo- uh, you know, uh, back uh, to to the seriousness of this. This is not the last time we see a covering in the Noah story, is it? That's true. It's not, and I'm very interested to see how we're going to tackle that in coming episodes. Um, and well, and I, and I don't want to get too far ahead of this. Um, but uh, in one chapter over, in, in the second half of Genesis 9, uh, Noah uh, and his family get off the ark. Noah plants a vineyard, and Noah becomes intoxicated, and his son looks upon his nakedness. We'll tackle what that might mean in uh, a future episode. But but what, is, what do his two other sons do for him? They cover him. They, yeah. co- they, they cover his nakedness, and it uses... Or they cover his nakedness, yeah. Uh, it, it uses the verb form, kasa, of this uh, noun, mixa. Um, mm. And I, I think that's so interesting. Noah is righteous, but Noah is not perfect. Um, and and I, I, love, I love the way that uh, you, you, you see something about God's interaction with humanity. In other words, something goes wrong in the garden. They cover themselves... God covers them better. Even though they are removed from the garden, uh, God continues to be part of the story. Things get to the point in Genesis 6 where God destroys the whole world, uh, but he saves this not perfect but righteous remnant under Noah by covering them. And then when they get off the ark, you again, you we've talked a lot about the, the creation imagery. They're on a mountain, they plant a garden, right? And then things go wrong with the fruit, just like Genesis 3. And then Noah has to be covered uh, again. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I never caught that. It's, it's, it's fruit. It does it again. Yeah, yeah th- that's it. Um, by the way, this is not the last time things will go bad over fruit. Um, uh, think of the wilderness generation. Uh, they bring right. back the grapes of the land, but they don't believe God can deliver them into that. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. like they don't believe God can get them back into Eden, kind of. You know, does that make sense? Uh, I mean, well, and there's so much to unpack later, but I don't want us to miss the connectedness of the imagery. Yeah, again, there's differences, but the similarities are worth noting. It's interesting that we're talking about these future events that we're going to cover. That, By the way, that's going to be a, an R-rated episode of the podcast, so be ready for that one. <laughs> Matt's going to talk the entire time as our scandalous <laughs> topics person. But it's interesting that we... Remember Noah. I mean, the, for the, like the Passion of the Christ was rated R, so we're okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. We're still covered, but um, oh, covered, there it goes. But, um, we're still covered. But it's interesting that we remember Noah for being like you know the hero patriarch of our faith, and we don't remember him for the slip up he got into with you know the fruit and all the stuff that. Come came with that, which we'll talk about. But that's interesting because that's not how we tend to view big figures like him in the in the present day if the story of the flood happened in the present day all we would be talking about is the wine incident right so let me just go like fundamentalist preacher like the way those messages it seems seems to be in my mind that i hear people talk about well you know why this happened he planted a garden in the first place if he hadn't have planted that blasted vineyard he wouldn't have had grapes that he could make wine out of so don't plant the garden in the first place it's always seems to be like an argument for slippery slope and, uh, and again that's the there's a there's a huge uh, temperance movement that it has informed that line of, of thinking because uh, wine is viewed as a blessing in the Bible frequently. The, the abuse of is a different thing altogether. But what's interesting and what you're getting at is, is that 
we remember Noah for the boat, not the bottle, so to speak, and the the drinking problem. But Ooh, write to, that down. Yeah. But if it were today, I, I fear that we would focus on the bottle and not the boat. And I, I think when I read Genesis, and especially when you fast forward into the New Testament and how the Noah character is viewed, especially in Hebrews 11, his faith is celebrated rather than his uh, mistakes remembered. And that's just something that we cannot do in the modern world where we want, we insist upon well, remembering someone for the worst 15 seconds of their life. Yeah. And let, let's highlight a different example of that. Cause, uh, I th- a lot of people listen to this and are like, Oh, of course you remember the best of, uh, Noah, you know, most of his, most of the details we have about them are arc related. He just has that one little slip up, um, you know, with uh, the the drunken buffoonery after the boat, um, mm. but it, but what about a figure like Samson when we get to judges, right? right? Oh yeah, we, we've <laughs> talked about this because yes. you, you think of Samson and you kind of think of the jockey, drunken buffoon of the judge figures. Not that they're all right. you know, uh, not that uh, several of them don't have an asterisk here or there. But when you get to Hebrews in the New Testament, Samson is celebrated. Right, it's fascinating. Uh, it, it's, it's choosing. It's choosing not to view the whole through the part. Um, it's it's saying, man, look what God did through these. Of course, they were faulted. They were human. <laughs> right. That's it's that's interesting a, to me. That's, a, that's was, an assumption of the biblical characters outside of God. <laughs> right. As I was thinking about Samson, this was a few years ago. I was like, you know what? Every lesson I've ever heard about Samson had the same action point, which was don't do what Samson did. But then when you come to Hebrews 11, the divine commentary, God is celebrating his boy. He's like, man, I wish I had time to talk about uh, the faith of this man. And to me, it's just a reminder that, man, God just judges and looks at things totally different than we do. And there is certainly a lesson there for us in this cynical, cynical age. Um, But... But anyway, Noah, the same, you know, we, we give characters like Noah a pass because it was like only a mistake here and there. But Samson, no, not a chance. But somehow, no, God God was blessed by Samson too. Yeah, so, the, man, the, if Samson happened in the modern era, I would not want to be hanging out on his Twitter account right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. right. It, it, does, it does set up the cheesy pastoral uh, pun, you know, God, I messed everything up again. It's okay, son. I've got you covered. Um, ah, yes. There it is. Um, yeah. But I, I do think because uh, covered is not the only language in this story that points uh, back and forward, right? Um, right. Matt, uh, beforehand, we were talking about the two words that are used for dry ground. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, as, as the waters abate. And, and again, we, we have talked about um, two points uh, forward and backward. One is that this points back to the dry ground in creation and Two, that it points to, uh, to the dry ground um, in the Exodus. But uh, Matt noted something I, I've not noted, is that you also have this uh, dry ground being used when Joshua, again, we've talked about removal from sacred, sacred land, God traveling with his people. You also have this language used for the dry ground as they cross the Jordan River. Interestingly, and, with and an what, ark. That's it. That's it. That's 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 exactly where I was going with an ark that symbolizes God's presence with his people and his purposes for his people. That's that's what has to be captured. Um, Mm. And so, uh, again, um, the the Bible is so interconnected. Pay again, honor the the differences contextually also, but pay attention to the similarities. Um, uh, It's just it's very 
just very interwoven. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, and this is connecting way forward in the story, and we don't have time to fully unpack it, but in verse number 16, go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. So the reason they go out from the ark is because they were on the ark. And it made me think of another story that we're going to read that's coming up, another destruction narrative when in Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot is told to flee the destruction of Sodom. And he tries to go and pleads with the betrothed, the fiancés, the betrothed husbands to his wives to flee with them. And the men won't come. But oh, here... Of his, of his daughters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 husbands to be of their of his daughters won't come with them. That they, they, they refuse. But the wives of his sons, they come. And mm. it's just interesting to me here because in the betrothal sense that you are already a part of the family in ancient culture, and the the women are humble enough to come, but the men are too proud to come. Yeah, there's probably uh, something uh, there. Well, and hand in hand with that, the fact that when they leave the ark, every not just every one, but everything. Leaves and families. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's good. Yeah, every like beast, that. every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Mm. Uh, so I think that's interesting. Yeah. I, I know I know this is like just completely made up, but like if you're watching anything Pixar, you know, you, know, you got talking animals or whatever, I can just imagine like, you know, some of the animals going down to like a river or ocean side or whatever, meeting their fish friends and being like, bro. You're not going to believe. <laughs> You're not going to believe what just happened. Uh, well, and so I, I have. <laughs> there's there's a more sinister take because right after this, you know, uh, there's a change in the diet when they get off the. You know, originally it's like they are only eating plants. I've given you every seed bearing plant for food, and after the ark, um, you know, they start going to be some hard that, conversations. That's it. <laughs> they start eating meat. So, like as they're filing off in this orderly manner and leaving by family, you got to wonder how far off the boat some of those animals they get, you know, before they start <laughs> casting shade and be like, "All right, so are we doing this?" I mean, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> that's, that's, this that's is right. worse than the ending of Old Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. my goodness, that's good. All right. Well, speaking of endings, it, we're out of time. So it's time to wrap up this podcast. Um, before we go, just want to remind listener once again, please um, subscribe and like the podcast. If you're on iTunes, hit the subscribe button. If you're on Spotify, hit uh, like or follow and uh, whatever the equivalent on whatever platform you're listening to. That really helps us out and continues to make the podcast spread to more and more people. And you guys have a great day. And Matt and Nathan Van Horn, you guys have a great day. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Week. We're off the arc. See you next time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying the same thing I always say. Shalom. All right. And stop.